Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Today begins a new series for the rest of the summer, all of July and August. This series will define the atmosphere and the spiritual motors that we will create for the next several weeks, about eight weeks to be exact. I'm going to hand out a card called Alive. The Alive card goes with my series. And if you would take this card and follow with me with devotions every day, I've written the card out so that it goes, this particular card goes for the next 21 days. And I'll give you another card the first weekend of August that will finish the series. So you have two prayer cards. This prayer card is divided into a daily prayer time following exactly what I'm preaching. So if you would take the opportunity to kind of work with me and think with me and pray with me and read with me and follow this prayer card, it would really be awesome. For the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the uh, kings of Israel in the Old Testament and taking from them some particular principles that will impact our personal lives. Remember, in the Old Testament, when we look at the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel actually split into two houses. It was unified under their first king, Saul. It was unified under David, at least for part of his reign. And then it was unified under Solomon. Then when Solomon died, two of his sons split the kingdom, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and they split the kingdom never to come back together again. From that point on in your Bible, you will read the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not just talking about the 12 tribes. There's now 12 tribes divided up. It's two houses that the prophets prophesied to, two houses that have two different kings and kingdoms and capitals and, and places of worship and priests. And, and they go through uh, a long history of being separated. In the house of Israel, there were 19 kings. In the house of Judah, there were 19 kings. In the house of Israel, not one king did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Every king did what was evil. Every king led the people the wrong way. In the house of Judah, there were eight kings, eight kings that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. When you read your Bible, go through the devotions with me, I want you to notice the phrase that you'll see over and over again in the Chronicles, as I've taken most of the history from the Chronicles so you can follow with me. You'll find this phrase over and over again, and they did which was right in the sight of the Lord, and they followed after the ways of their father David. Or they walked in the ways of David, or they followed after the same heart that David had for God. So David kind of set up a standard for following God that uh, was a heart kingdom and a kingdom that really did love Jehovah God. And that kingdom was blessed. But those that followed the ways of the other kingdom and that which was wrong in the sight of the Lord, they were not blessed. And they had so many problems in their kingdom. Every king that did not follow the Lord had problems in their kingdom. Now, this is what will happen. As you read with me through the Chronicles and through these particular days that I have marked, you'll start with today is introductory scriptures because I won't get to Asa today. And then you'll start tomorrow, Monday, with Asa's reform, Tuesday, Asa's prayer, Wednesday, Asa's promise, 
Thursday, Ace's response. Friday, Ace's covenant. Saturday, Ace's wrongdoing. Sunday, we move to Jehoshaphat. His heart, his strategy, his favor, uh, his compromise, his reform, his battle, his prayer, his victory. And then we have one reading for Jehoiada, which I think you need to understand. Him and Joash were together in the reform. And then we have a few days with him and his declarations and Joash. And then we go on to the other kings beginning in August. If you would just follow the car and take to heart, take your Bible, mark your scripture, do kind of a little bit of journaling for the next 50 days. That's how long these prayer cards will last you. This one and the next one, about 50 days. And then as I preach and move the church into what I want to talk about, I think that the two will really be a chemistry for you to really have some good devotions. I'll be preaching on some of these areas from the lives of the king, only one area from each king, because obviously it would take me 10 weeks to do one king. So we're just taking one area that we can talk about in the life of that king and kind of apply it to your life on how you walk with the Lord, how you do what is right in the sight of God, how you become a person That's alive after God. And you have your own revival, your own reforms, your own battles, your own times of dedication. How you yourself, as a king priest under the Lord Jesus Christ, a New Testament believer, you are to be this kind of a person who follows hard after the Lord and sets your life in order. And that's what the series is all about. All right, we're talking about alive. I want to go right to my notes this morning and get you to take a few notes because I want to pray with you and I want to get you launched into this series. All right, everyone say the word alive. Alive. Come on, shout it at me. Alive. Alive. To be alive is to be full of life. Full of activity and motion. Full of energy and excitement, animated and lively, bursting open with life and vitality. What I'm after in this particular series is to really press every person into a level of spiritual life that is a little bit more than what you have. You might be at a low level and so push you to a little bit of a high low, going a little bit above that low level you're on. Or a little bit into the heart where there's something dead or something that needs to come alive. And for those that are doing pretty good in God, maybe it can push you to a more radical or a a more heated relationship with Jesus right now. Where the passions you have and the appetites will burn just a little hotter. I've really been uh, meditating and strategizing this series for two months. Been working on it on parallel besides everything else I do. I'm always over here cooking the next series. Why? Because I want the heart that I'm going to deal with my heart first to be ready to impart the spirit of what I'm teaching, not just the notes that I teach, but the overall big picture spirit that I want to impart to the church. I felt very much quick, and I shared this with my core leadership team as we talked about the summer and the series and what we were doing. I shared with them, I really felt that our church needed to move into uh, a season where there would be a Holy Spirit focus and God could just touch hearts and enlarge people in their passion and their affection toward God. And so that we could actually take the whole church and gather the whole church together in heart and press. Everyone say the word press. I want to press you a little bit. So I want you to get ready for this. I'm going to press you a little bit. I'm going to press your relationship to God. I'm going to press 
your relationship to prayer. I'm going to press your relationship to the Holy Spirit. I'm going I'm to kind of push you a little bit and press you forward into what I would say is a great positioning for you to be alive in God. To be alive in God is to be full of vitality and energy. It's to be alive, not only in your natural life, but your spiritual life. But your spiritual life has a lot to do with your natural life. Life also, when you're alive in your spirit man, your natural life takes on more energy. Your natural life takes on more thought. You actually have a different step in your life, a different walk that you take because you're so filled with life. You're filled with energy of God. You're filled with a passion and a fire of the Holy Spirit that actually changes the way you live. It changes the way you relate. It changes the way you witness. It changes the way you laugh. It changes the way you do everything. Why? Because you're alive inside. When you're alive inside, everything around you is touched by that life. When you're alive inside, church is different. A live person can take a dead church and make it better. A dead person can take a live church and do nothing to it. I'll say that again. A live person can take a dead church and make it better because the life of the person will lift the presence of the church. But a dead person cannot do anything to a live church. If you're alive, even poor preaching does well for you because your spirit takes more than what has been verbalized by the preacher himself. Because inside of you is the best teacher in the whole cosmos. Inside of you is the teacher called the Holy Spirit. And when you're alive in God, as someone is preaching the word, you're quickened, you have a thought, you add a scripture, you begin to pray, you begin to take in things that I'm not even talking about sometimes. Sometimes I quicken a thought for you that the Holy Spirit takes and feeds you with because you're alive inside. A person that's alive inside would get more out of preaching, more out of worship, more out of communion, more out of prayer, Because the life in them makes what they're doing alive. But if you're dead inside, there's not a powerful enough service to resurrect how you're thinking. You can go through the entire service and not feel a thing. That's because you're dead inside. You can go through the entire service and have no passion touched in your life, nothing quickened in your life, no God thought, no Holy Spirit movement. Go through the entire weekend of services and feel nothing. That's a problem. And that's what I want to touch on. If there's nothing in you that is moved by the worship or the prayer or the Holy Spirit or the word or God dealing with your life, then you need to have some reviving in your life. And that's what I'm going to go after with the entire church is to revive every heart, every mind, every spirit so that I can press you in to a place where you can have the passion that God wants you to have toward him to be alive. That's what we're talking about. To be alive, there are four things I'm after. One, Encountering a profound professional, not professional, personal encounter with God. A profound personal encounter with God. What I want is for every person to encounter a personal relationship with God. Not a religious, not a church only, but encountering of God yourself in such a way that you would know that you know God better. You've been encountered by God. God has moved and invaded your life. Something is going on inside of you. You have encountered God. Maybe you attend church. Maybe mentally and even, quote, theologically, you know what being born again is and saved is, but you don't feel any different.
sometimes mental salvation in America is a harmful thing for us. Because people don't encounter God. They don't get born again. They never have a Holy Spirit experience, but they don't want to go to hell. Or they've made a confession somewhere with their mouth, but nothing has been birthed in their spirit. I'm after you during this series. To help you. To encounter God in such a way that you would know that you have a personal, powerful, profound relationship with God. Does your relationship with God really push your button? When you go to prayer and the Word, does it really feed you? Is it something that excites you? Is it something that you actually share with other people? What God is doing with you, what God is saying to you? how you're living your Christian life, what you found out lately in devotions, what you're doing with your Bible study, who you're witnessing with. Will you pray for my friend with me? I'm working on them right now. What are you doing with your personal relationship with God? Second, I want you to experience God's power in supernatural proportions. God's power in supernatural proportions, simply meaning outside of my norm, outside of my limited human being, outside of my limited carnal mind, I need some supernatural pr proportions. I need some deposits of God that are beyond me. No matter what I have experienced in God in the past, I would like something a little bit more right now. Can I hear an amen? Some supernatural proportions. Third, I want you to experience a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit that creates an appetite for God. There's not a person listening to my voice that would not understand the concept of appetite. If you have an appetite, you eat. When you lose appetite and you don't eat for a long period of time, there's danger involved. And people will say, do you not want to eat? Do you, have you lost all appetite? What is the problem? Are you sick? I'm very concerned. You're looking very thin. You're thinner, thinner, thinner. I don't think you're eating enough. Well, I don't feel like it. I have no appetite for food. That's a very dangerous thing. We go after a person like that. And we try to make sure they get medical help or whatever. We don't want them to die or destroy parts of their life. And so we make sure their appetite does not destroy them. How's your appetite for God? What is your appetite like for spiritual things? How hungry are you for God, for the Holy Spirit, for an encounter with the presence of Jesus, for some private time with the Lord Jesus? Hunger. I'm praying that you would encounter the Holy Spirit in such a way that you would have new appetites. Fourth, I want you to experience God breaking off all limitations that hold you back. All limitations, baggage, stuff that we collect. Was it last weekend in our area there were 200 garage sales? 200. Everywhere you went, there's garage sales going on. And when you look at the garage sales, there's a lot of great stuff sitting out in the street, sitting in the garage. Why? They have collected so much baggage, 
So many things they don't need. So many things that are just in the way. They have some kind of a sale, even though they bought it at this price and never used it. They sell it at this price because they've collected it out of, well, non-necessities and things that just happen. We all do it. And so you have a garage sale. What is it that would limit you from following God? Some of you need to have a spiritual garage sale. You need to clean out the attic, the garage, stuff that you really don't need in your life, stuff that you're doing that you know are a limitation to your life. Clean it out. Let the Holy Spirit come and remove some of those limiting experiences that you've had that are placed in you a heart that is limiting God because of hardness and for other reasons. All right, two phrases, alive micro and alive macro. Alive micro is spiritual experience that occurs within you, that touches something deep down in you. Personal, deep, life-changing encounter. Changes your soul, ends up redirecting your life. What I'm after, it re-impassions you. I know when I've had them, it has done that. In my particular line of career, I cannot just be a professional. I have to be a spiritual person. I have to do business with my boss. My boss is God. My general manager is God. My resource committee is God. My future is God. My strategist is God. My life is to be hidden in a kingdom that's invisible and one that is driven by the Holy Spirit. I can't afford to be dry, hard, lost, wrong, out, carnal, professional. I can't afford it. I cannot exist in that atmosphere. I have to find a place where I can get the plow and plow my heart. Doesn't matter how tired I am. Doesn't matter how discouraged I get. It doesn't matter how much pressure comes on me with finances or staff or structures or organizational stuff with the schools and the church plants and blah, 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 blah. There's hundreds of things that vie for my time. There are dozens of things I don't like to deal with. There are a few things that I hate, and it's not you. But I have to watch carefully, carefully, carefully. I have to watch my heart. For out of the heart flow the issues of life. I have to watch my heart. I got to pull the weeds. I got to get rid of the clutter. I got to keep some kind of a cutting edge. I've got to know that God is involved with me, that I can hear God, feel God, walk with God, and do what is pleasing in His sight. To do that, I have to do exactly what you have to do. Have a garage sale. Get rid of the stuff. Don't collect unforgiveness. Don't collect perverted thoughts. Do not collect impurities. Do not collect carnal thinking. Do not collect those kind of things that can live in you that the book of Romans talks about that cause you to be a double-minded person. You have to dump those things out. 
come back to a fresh, living, vital, awesome, alive relationship with God. And out of that relationship comes fruits, life, and blessing for other people. Micro. Romans 6 and verse 11 says, alive to God. Alive to God. If you're alive to God, what I'm saying already bears witness with you because you're alive. Macro. Spiritual movement of the Holy Spirit upon a church congregation. An awakening, an outpouring of God's Spirit upon thirsty people. Micro is you. Macro is us. An outpouring, a reviving, an awakening. Something that takes place in the church that changes the atmosphere of the church, ultimately changing the atmosphere of the community, ultimately changing the atmosphere of the city or the nation that that city sits in. Revival has to spread outside for it to be any kind of a bona fide God movement, a God awakening. A macro is not just that I want me to wake up, I want us. Psalms 85 verse 6, revive us. Come on, everyone shout us. Revive, come on, shout again, revive. Everyone shout us. It's macro, it's together, it's collective, it's ecclesia, it's church, it's family, it's body of Christ, it's all of us together. I don't want to be alive by myself. I want to be alive with you. I don't want to be alive and leave you behind. I want to walk with you and all of us be alive together. I don't want a bunch of hundred folders really going radical for God and leaving all the 30 folders behind and not even caring they're left behind. I don't want the new person to be misunderstood if they don't know how to pray and worship in a real passionate way. We just leave them behind. That's why we are so careful to take our congregation step by step. I want a macro revival. I want you and I together to experience a presence of God that changes the atmosphere of our worship, prayer, and living community as a body of Christ. Us together. The church in America needs a reviving, an awakening. There is no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Christian Encyclopedia for World Religion, David Barrett, I believe his name is. He says what a lot of people say right now, about 82,000 people a day, a day come to Christ worldwide. Well, you can almost take that statistic and get pretty pumped about it. Until you divide it up and hear what he's saying. Wow. 82,000 people every day come to Christ. But when you put the attrition number with it, how many people live apart from Christ or leave the church for another religion, it takes a hunk out of that. When you also put with that that there are more Muslims becoming Muslim than there are Christians becoming Christian, then you start looking at the statistics saying, I think we're losing here. When you look at the statistics in Europe, just England alone, there are four times more Muslims attending their mosque and their services on Friday than all the churches put together in England on Sunday. They're growing in a massive way. And other religions in our country. When you put it together, there's about 30,000 people a day coming to Christ in Africa. There's 20-some thousand coming to Christ, about 25,000 a day in Asia. 
There's 17,000 coming to Christ every day in Latin America. 6,000 for all of America. All of North America, 6,000. Well, there's 330,000 churches in America. More like probably 350,000, but 330 would be very, very low number. And if there's only 6,000, you do the math. People that are actually coming to Christ and staying with Christ on a daily basis, what's going on inside of the church in America? We're not reaching the unchurched. We're not reaching the unsafe. We're not seeing the salvations we want. We're not seeing society turn. We have a secular world system, a secular mindset, a secular education. We have a president that's taken us a particular way in his thinking about religion. And we have the whole nation shifting around us. And people are crying out. People are very upset about a lot of our ships and a lot of our losses and marriage and home and relationships and God and purity. And, and you can go on. The list is that long and it's very discouraging. This is why I would press us I cannot change the world, but I'm responsible to change you. I'm not responsible for 349,999 churches. I am responsible for the one that I lead and I pastor. And if I'm responsible for this church at the helm with the turn will, I'm going to pray and press you to be more passionate, more filled, more full, and more outgoing with the kingdom of God so that we can make a difference where we live. Quit cursing the darkness and light a candle. It's that mentality. We need to wake up ourselves. Revive us. Oh, God. Evan Roberts was a young man in Wales, 26 years old. He woke up every day at 1 o'clock. Not didn't want to, but every night at one o'clock, he started waking up from one to five. Being harassed in his spirit, couldn't sleep. 26 years old. After weeks of being woken up from one to five, he began using it as his normal prayer time. Every day. From one to five. He went to speak to his church youth group. Got them so turned upside down, turned on for God. His words began to burn in them, and then it burned in the church, and then the church started having meetings and prayer meetings. And before you know it, all over Wales and England, there were a thousand prayer meetings. That fourth awakening is the awakening that came to America that caused a tremendous, great awakening in our country. It started in Wales, and moved here. During that time, churches were turned upside down. Salvations were unbelievable. Portland, Oregon is in the history of that. It's one of the cities that is mentioned a lot during the Fourth Awakening. Why? Because Portland, Oregon closed all of their businesses from 11 to 2 o'clock every day for prayer. From 11 to 2, the city shut down and everyone went to prayer meetings. Hundreds of people converted. 
miracles, salvation, healings. Churches sprung up all over in this metro area in that rural time out of prayer. My spirit with this series is I'm saying, oh God, how about a fifth awakening? How about a fifth? We never went further than the fourth. There's no such thing in America as a fifth awakening. Everyone knows the dates of the first, second, third, and fourth. It seems to me the hope for our country is the church. And if the church would get on course, I believe everything else would line up. That's a simplistic statement, but it's one with conviction. The purpose of God is not done through politics, through social, through It is done in the spiritual level of the kingdom of God when human hearts are turned around and find Christ. They change the way they think. You can bang away at everyone's mindset, but what they really need is Christ. Can I hear an amen? Revive. This is what we're after, to live again, to come to life, to be restored from a state of apathy, which I believe all of us probably have a little bit of depression. Come to a full energetic life, be healed from any condition that has drained life. Flourish, recover health, be refreshed. All of these synonyms and phrases, they just seem so right, so good, so delicious to read. Refreshed, revive, restored, turn around, let go of apathy, get out of depression, flourish, some vitality, life, life. Alive. Reviver and the revived. God is the reviver and I'm the revived. God can revive and God wants to revive. Notice my little phrase it is a divine thing. Make no mistake, I understand sovereignty, Holy Spirit initiation, purpose, time, seasons. I understand that. I understand there's no way to make a man-made move of the Spirit, a man-made revival, that I cannot just be the big spoon that stirs everybody up and, and it happens just because I'm a stir. It doesn't happen that way. It's God that initiates. It's God that plans. It's God that strategizes. It's a divine thing. I understand that. But as a reviver, I must respond to him as the revived. We are in need of reviving and we can be revived. Why? It is a response thing. All right? It's a divine thing. Absolutely. It's a response thing. Go wash in the river seven times. Bring me that basket of bread and I'll break it. Go up to the upper room and wait and I'll fill your mouth. Go. There's always the response part. Go out and wash on the pool of Bethesda. Obey the word of the Lord. Go fill all the water pots. Make an altar and sacrifice. Fire will come. Go get cups from all your neighbors. I'm going to give you some oil, but you find the cup. It's throughout the Bible. God is divine. God is miraculous. God is supernatural. God can pour out. God can move in my heart. God can initiate a remarkable fire of the Holy Spirit in me. But I have to respond. 
There's some things I have to do in creating hunger. You don't just stand like a statue and say, okay, God, if you want to move in my life, just have at it. It doesn't work that way. You'll find in every one of the revivals with the kings, there was a, an amount of repentance and cleansing and cleansing the temple and tearing down the altars. And, and you read it, every single king that had it right, they went back to the word and they began to tear stuff out, remove what was evil, do what was right. They put the priesthood in order to put the worshipers back in the house of God. They set everything up and every single time God moved supernaturally. Poured out his presence and his spirit. I have eight targets we'll do in this series. Here they are. I'm looking at God through the different kings. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, Josiah, Zerubbabel. Which is not the king, but the post history there of restoring with Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah with restoring the city. They fit right into the history of the kings. I want God to revive our heart, our strength, our generosity, our worship, our purity, our vision, our dedication, and our walls. Those are the eight pieces that I've taken from those scenarios that you'll read about. How does God revive a heart? He'll tell you how. How does God revive a person's strength? Jehoshaphat's about the best that I've ever seen. How does God revive a person in their generosity, a generous spirit? Why does a generous spirit open up more things? What about your worship, your purity, your vision, your dedication, your walls? How do you rebuild walls? I'm going to read a portion of scripture. We end with this. As I was reading this, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, prophesy to the church. Prophesy. Okay, Lord, give me words to prophesy. Not just as a spontaneous, just prophesy, but prophesy as in a prophetic mindset and a deposit that God has put it in me to impart. But do it in a prophetic way. So I began to pray, intercede, say, Lord, what do you want? And and that thing that I feel. Ezekiel 37, I'm going to read 10 verses. I'm going to read what I think is a prophecy for every person in this room and every room I'm speaking to. This is a prophetic word for you. It's prophetic spirit upon the written word of God. But what it said in Ezekiel 37 is for your life right now. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me. And so it's going to happen to you. And brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Set me down in the midst of a valley. The valley is full of bones. Bones are has beens Bones can't help themselves. Bones are markers in the Bible. Bones cannot have any realm of life when they're dead. If there's no 
breath and a bone. It's a dead bone. It can't help itself. It's a has-been. If you do some kind of study on the bone, it can tell you all about the past of the bone, but what's in the bone has no future. No future. And here he says, go down to a valley full of bones, full of people. We're the bones this morning, full of people who have some DNA tests running out that we can understand all about the past. All about the dead past. All about what hasn't happened. All about what could have happened. So as he goes around to the bones, verse 2, he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there are very many in the open valley, and indeed there were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know, I, I don't know much about bones, but in the natural there's no way, but Lord, you know the right answer. He said to me, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And I'm speaking to you now, every single person. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Whatever is past is past. Whatever has been dead is dead. But what is dead in the natural realm of living can become supernatural life and destiny for those who have the breath of God breathe upon their lives. Even though in the natural we say, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. He said, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath. <laughs> Nua, <laughs> breath, life. To enter into you and you shall live. I'll put sinew on you and bring flesh upon you to cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. As I prophesied, there was a noise. And I want you to listen real carefully. Listen real carefully for the noise that's going to start in your life. Some rattling, some moving, some noise, some movement. And all of a sudden, as I prophesied, there was some noise and a rattling. There's going to come some noise and rattling into your life. God's going to shake some stuff up, move some stuff around. And then he's going to breathe into these bones. He said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, the wind. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live, 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 live. So I prophesied and he commanded me, breath came into them and they lived. 